Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ian. Today we conclude the first installment of our Life with Jesus theme for 2023. As we have studied Jesus's kingship and rule through the scope of community ministry, we've uncovered many groups who go easily unnoticed in society. This morning, we're gonna give our attention to one last group, those serving in the realm of public education. Thanks for joining us today as we examine Jesus's warning to his disciples as he sends them in his name with his authority and message into the surrounding community. Uh, JV football, uh, good days, good old days. You, you didn't quite know what you were doing, but you thought you did. In Florence, uh, we had to play some smaller schools, and I remember I, I was a second or third string on offense, uh, but then the coach decided to put me in on special teams, kick return. And one of our first games, we traveled to uh, Leona Walbino, which was two schools that uh, got put together because they were smaller. And uh, as I look back on it now, I suspect that RJV was playing their varsity uh, only because of a numbers issue they combined. Now, I remember as we went through the motions in practice, nobody was hitting full speed. No, no, nobody was uh, knocking your block off, right? We, we were supposed to know what our blocking schemes were. And I remember getting out there all excited, first day, kick return, we're getting the ball. And I see it flying through the air, like rose-colored little fourth grader, thought we were playing with our buddies until I got the snot knocked out of me. <laughs> this giant bearded man hit me so hard, no, no joke, my cleats fell off. Um... Uh, you, you, see, you see some stars in that moment. And I can remember thinking, this is not what I was prepared for. This is not what I was ready for. Uh, I, I didn't realize uh, the violence that was capable uh, out of this team. and How important it is for a coach to make sure that before we send you out there, you're prepared. That you know what's coming. That you know what to expect. Jesus does the right thing, as opposed to my coach in that instance. Maybe it was a part of me. I should have known better. But Jesus, before he sends his disciples out into the community, and by the way, he does present to them an authority that he has, but before he does, he gives them a heads up. He gives them coaching, and he tells them exactly what they're going to encounter and what they're going to expect to make sure that they do not get blasted out of their cleats uh, when they go out there in his name to serve others. Uh, it was interesting, uh, Derek even nailed it this morning on how offensive Jesus is. If you want to make someone uncomfortable, just go up to him and say, can I tell you about Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? It's funny that that's the way our world is. It's interesting how you don't encounter that with Muhammad or Buddha. You don't get that from any of the other foreign deities. But if you mention Jesus, there's something about that name that causes the world to take attention. This morning, we're going to look at a passage uh, as we're wrapping up this series of how do we do life with Jesus in our community. And we have been focusing, the passage is going to be in Matthew 10. If you have your Bibles, you could turn there with me. But the focus for us each of these weeks has been to try to look into an area of our community that's, that's sometimes missed, sometimes overlooked. So we started that with our neighbors. 
I wonder if any of you have made any extra efforts to get to know your neighbors through the course of this series. We also looked at those who are kind of the shut away in the corners of the shadows in assisted care or nursing homes and how they too are part of our community. We heard last week how there are the least of these, those who probably will never come to church, where you may be the only Jesus that they encounter, those falling on hard times, the poor, and those struggling. For today, we're going to look at a subsection of our community that's probably the largest. Um, We're going to look at it through the lens of this passage, and that has to do with our public schools. The students who every day are facing a foreign ideology from Christ. And what is that like for them in that community? And what does that mean for us as parents, both those who practice homeschooling with our kids and those of us who send our kids to public school? I think you're going to see that there is a message that's going to apply whether you have kids or not from this text of Jesus's preparation to have your eyes open to see clearly what you're going to face when you go there. So with that in mind, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 10, the first 16 verses. Matthew records, he called his disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at that house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. I would expect that as we are looking at this message, uh, again, God's word as it's received by those who follow him should be offensive to us in every area by which we would hold to some form of a dual allegiance of this world and Christ. Jesus is going to be encouraging his disciples, you can only hold singularly to Christ. And if you do, be prepared. You might, you might receive persecution. So I've entitled this message, uh, Snakes and Doves. 
Did you catch that as it ended? He's sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove. I want to give you a, a few just definitions for those two terms that we're told. So shrewd here, this word literally means prudent. It has to do with the idea of gaining wisdom that is received through insight. So whatever you see, you are crafting into a determination that will form your actions to meet your goals. I define it this way. Skillful wisdom to accomplish your goals with creative and careful means. That's what it means to be shrewd. It's the exact same word that's used in 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul says, but I'm afraid just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning. That's the same word, shrewd, translated here, cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It seems a little odd, though, that we should be like a serpent, doesn't it? I mean, you have the serpent referenced right there. Satan's cunning, where? In the garden. If you go to Genesis, you'll remember that the text says it was the serpent who was more crafty than all of the other animals. I want to make sure that we know that doesn't mean evil. The the snake in the garden was itself not evil, but it contained characteristics for which the evil one, Satan, was going to leverage in his deception and lies to the humans. To be crafty means that you're able to sneak up without anybody noticing. To be crafty or cunning or shrewd means that you're constantly paying attention, listening in, and waiting for that right moment, that opportune moment to strike. That's just like what a snake is. Yesterday, we went to the pet store in town, and uh, Sadie's birthday's coming up. She's, um, uh, I, I have fish, so we might get her a fish, but every time we go there, do you know what she's interested in? The snakes. Yes, Emily loves this. This makes her thrilled. Uh, Sadie goes right over to the snakes, and here she picks out this cute little one that's just, I mean, seriously, if a snake could be cute, this snake is pretty cute. It's there just wiggling for attention, and she's like, oh, look, it's so cute, little snake. And then as we're, as we're looking through the rest of the little cubbies there at the other snakes, here, here's the thing. You, uh, you can't spot them right away. Have you ever noticed that? If, if you ever go to a pet store, take a look at the snake little display and you'll look for him and look for him and look. And oh, he's right there. It, it was looking at me the whole time. But it just blends in. It just blends in. This is what we as Christians are told to emulate as we go out into the community, to be shrewd. By paying close attention, being well-informed, and waiting and looking for that moment to jump in, to strike, if you will, not in an evil way, not in a harmful way, but to strike at those opportune moments of either teachability within the hearts of our children or for the glory of God, depending on the circumstances that we face. That's, That's what a serpent does. That's the cunning and shrewdness of a serpent. Always paying attention, always watching, and ready. The other word here was innocent, right? Innocent, the word literally means unmixed with things. I'm defining it here uh, similarly within this context as skillful wisdom to accomplish your goals without having to mix in any sort of evil or deception. These are the two characteristics that Jesus tells his disciples 
to emulate as they go out into the community. You're to be shrewd, ready and listening. You're also to be innocent and pure, which means in your delivery, you don't mix Jesus with anything else that the culture wants in order to soft pedal or make Jesus somehow more palatable. You ever see that happening in some churches? We water Jesus down. We make his commands less offensive than they truly are because we think in so doing, it'll make Jesus easier to receive. You have now sacrificed purity. You are in fact no longer innocent in your delivery and portrayal. You have, even as I think Derek helped mention, you have stripped away the power of the cross and replaced it with some form of a, a human endeavor conniving or some manipulation to try to win people. Win people, I have to use in quotes, because Jesus tells his own disciples that all men are going to hate you because of me. And to not worry about what you're going to say when you are brought before the authorities. You're to be innocent. You're to be unmixed in your presentation. The same word is used here in Philippians 2. I'm, I'm bringing it out just so that we can understand the word a little bit better. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Defined here as children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine like stars uh, in the sky. Complaining, arguing, grumbling. Does that sound like the behavior of a Christ follower? Or someone in the world. Don't, don't mix into your life anything that you see in the world. Stay, stay pure. Especially stay innocent in your presentation of Jesus to the outside world. This verse we, we heard already from Wendy. If you wanted a good proverb of this same teaching. Paul says, everyone has heard about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise. That's our idea of shrewdness. Wise about what's good. I'm watching. I'm listening. I'm ready. And innocent about what is evil. I'm staying unmixed. I'm staying pure. I'm not using coercion or manipulation. So just with those as two kind of defining features of this text, I want to give us three observations that we can see from here. First, First of all is this. Your and my communication when following Christ in the community is going to be offensive. When you speak about Christ to a world that wants nothing to do with the king of kings, hear clearly that you will be offending people. If you look back with me in the text, verse 14 says, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words. Jump down to verse 17. You'll see this. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils, flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings to be witnesses to them, to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what you will say or how to say it. At that time, it will be given you what to say. For you will not be, it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. Does that shock you today? I don't want you to get blasted out of your cleats when you go out there. Listen to Jesus. This is what to expect. To communicate the message of the gospel is going to offend people. It wasn't that long ago I was delivering a funeral message in Arizona in a, um, in a setting that was secular. It was, a, it was a funeral home that wasn't Christian in particular, and the service was being live streamed. And in my message, as soon as I mentioned Jesus' name, do you know what happened to the live stream? 
suddenly cut out for some reason. Technical difficulties is what I was told. I found that interesting. Have you ever seen this happen on any cable news channels? If they ever happen to interview a Christian and they start to speak about Jesus' name, suddenly it seems like, oh, looks like we lost our feed for some reason. I wonder why that occurs. Look at what Jesus says in John 15. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. They'll treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If they, if they had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. Folks, I think that this is something that's particularly difficult for adults. No, not a single amen on that. That's okay. It's silent. I know it's there, right? It's hard for adults. But you know who it's not really hard for? Isn't that weird? It's not hard for kids. Kids will just say anything. They'll, they'll tell you how much money you're making. They'll talk about what political person your parents are supporting. Right? They'll, they'll talk about things that we are like, ah, we, don't, we don't talk about those things. Yesterday, uh, Sadie and I were going for a walk, and uh, we walked past the park, and there were a bunch of kids all around, and she was telling me how she was learning in school sign language for Jesus. She says, I know sign language for Jesus. Do you guys know what it is? Let's practice it. Put a hand like this. Take your middle finger and touch right here. Right here. Let's all practice that. We're doing this for Sadie now. Right here we go. Sign language for Jesus. And she says, in Bible, she said, this is book. But if you go Jesus and then like this, that's the Bible. And she's saying this as loud as she can when we're on this walk. And I'm seeing people like, she's like, and Jesus and the Bible. And people are like looking at us. And isn't that, isn't that strange? And here's the hardest thing about innocence. Once you lose it, it is hard to gain back. I can remember the first time when I was in, in school and the biology teacher asked, who here believes in creation? And I expected, because that's what we all believe, right? I expected everybody's hand to go up. It was only mine. In fact, I can remember the first time I heard a pastor say the same thing, that they didn't believe in the creation story of the Bible. That was a shock to me. I can remember the first time when my family and I were worshiping um, at our saviors in town. And it was a Ash Wednesday. And we got ashes put on our forehead, right? It's not a particular tradition that we do often here, but you're familiar enough with it, right? And um, I went to McDonald's and I can remember the young kids behind the counter teasing me because I had ashes and I said it was for Jesus. And they just had a laugh. And I remember just thinking, I don't understand this. And then you get older and you realize there's just certain things you don't talk about. There's just because it's offensive. Did, did you read that in here? Do you remember the part when Jesus said, by the way, I don't want you to offend anybody. So just don't bring up my name. Do you remember that? Was that in here? That wasn't in here. This is what we need to realize. That our communication when following Jesus. By the way, if you're not following Jesus, you're not going to offend anybody. You'll be fine. Paul says that. He says, if I was still trying to please men, why am I being persecuted? But I'm not trying to please men. I'm trying to please God. And so if you're following Jesus into the community, you will be offensive. Secondly, our commission to follow. All right. So that's your 
Your obedience to this. Your commission to follow Christ in the community must be on the offensive. Now, I'm using the same word here, but I'm using it a little differently. I don't mean it in the sense that it's to be rejected. I mean it's a mission. Did you remember what Jesus said? Because this is going to make everybody really uncomfortable, right? I'm sending you out like what? Sheep among wolves. What? Think about that for a minute. That sounds crazy. Uh, uh, are you giving us guns? What are you, knives? What are you? We don't have teeth. Like, what are you doing? You're, you're going to send us out like sheep? There's wolves out there, Jesus. This is, he, this is why he gives us the further instruction, the title of this message, Snakes and Doves. Here's what this means, though. If you see a sheep going after a wolf, that sheep must be pretty convinced, amen? That sheep must be pretty committed to whatever he's doing. And the only way this is going to work for you and I is that we make sure we know what we are facing, that we know what's in front of us. I want to give you this encouragement from Jesus' words. He says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? Yeah, there's wolves out there, but you don't need to worry the wolves. The wolves don't hold the authority, Jesus says. I hold the authority. So go. That's really helpful news for us. What about our kids? What about those who we send out every day into the Babylon of the public sphere? I got this quote from uh, Pastor Vody Bacham. He says, we cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. Isn't that interesting? Here, here's the problem, though. Jesus did not pray, Father, take them out of the world. John chapter 17, he never prays for his disciples, take them out of the world. He says, keep them in the world, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And so his prayer is for protection over them, but he has sent us into the world. When you look at the public school and public education, I just listed out a couple of interesting anti-Christian themes that they have. When, when you look at how origins are taught in the public system, it's the theory of what? Theory of, evo- of evolution, right? You, we go from bacteria to businessmen, from fish to philosophers. Unguided process. No meaning, no purpose, no hope. That is what evolution offers the mind of the children who are being educated by Caesar. How about identity? This came from the Washington Post. Uh, Resources and lesson plans for those who want to teach about gender identity are becoming more common. Seven states now require that curriculums include LGBTQ topics. The national sex education standards developed by experts and advocacy groups name gender identity as one of seven essential topics alongside puberty, consent, sexual orientation, and other subjects. And the federal government recommends that schools include gender identity in their sex education program. I'm sure I don't need to preach any more on this. I bet you're all up to speed on most of this. How about authority? 
This was Engel versus Vitali, 370 U.S. to 421. In 1962, the Supreme Court ruled that school-sponsored prayer in public school violates the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. Started in 1962. Who did we kick out? We kicked God out of the schools. No more authority. In fact, we are going to replace what's taught in the secular sphere, not as the authority of God, but the authority of self. It's whatever you desire, want, or think that becomes authoritative. This is why you'll find, even in the news today, uh, examples and headlines of teachers who are taking students to receive abortions without the uh, awareness or consent of their parents. The state stepping in when it comes to the confusion of gender dysphoria, that a young person, which by the way is epidemic amongst young people nowadays, to receive some form of gender affirming care without ever consulting, guess who? Mom or dad. Authority is where? Oh, it's right here. It's not with God. It's not to follow after God's design. How about morality? This from the New York Times. City and suburban schools alike forbid teachers to advocate personal values, particularly on topics of current controversy, such as abortion or disarmament. As a result, substance abuse programs, which are offered in virtually every suburban district, do not preach abstinence from drugs and alcohol as much as they teach a thinking process that would lead students to decide against drugs and drinking. That was in 1985. That, that article. That was in 1985. Now, to some degree, I, I don't have an entirely big problem with that, except to simply highlight, is the public school system moral? Absolutely not. And yet, every stance that you take on a subject is a defense of a kind of morality. Listen, your kids are going to get blasted out of their cleats unless they are being prepared at home. And there are two ditches that you can fall in. You can fall in the ditch on this side of sending your kid to public school and thinking Caesar's going to take care of it for you. You can also fall into the ditch on the other side of soap trying to protect and insulate your children through some form of homeschool education that they have no idea what's coming. If the public school system is the center of the deepest part of the ocean, Understand this, your kids are swimming with sharks. But if you're over on this side, you had better be taking your kids to the lake to learn how to swim. Do, do everybody understand that we, we need to make sure that no matter what we're doing, that we are invested, invested in our children's lives. Homeschool side, you need, to, you need to make sure that you are engaging like, like the shrewdness of a serpent who's looking for those moments to make sure they know there is a lineman coming at you who's going to rock you, your world. Right? You, and, and it comes in the form of false morality, false authority, false sense of origins. That, that needs to be part of your system. And parents who send your kids to public school, you need to be watching vigilantly like a, like a serpent would, like a snake. Shrewdness, making sure that you're checking with what they're saying. But in both cases... Make sure you and I understand it's Jesus' plan not to isolate us in a bubble apart from our effectiveness for his name. He sends us into this world. And as you and I go there, we need to be on the offensive, not on the defensive, because he sends you like sheep out among wolves. 
All right, lastly, our commitment to follow Jesus into the community will test if he is offensive. This is a third definition of the word offensive. It means unwanted. It means ashamed of. If you look with me in our text just a little bit further, jump down to verse 32. Here's the challenge for the disciples. Matthew 10, verse 32. He's already sent them out. He's told them how to do it. He told them what's going to come. Now he says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. So are you ready? Do you, do you, are you prepared to speak the name that's going to offend people? The name of Jesus? This uh, from 2 Timothy, this is Paul's last letter. Watch what he says to Tim. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord and of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why, Paul? Why are you not ashamed? For I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded he's able to keep what I've committed to him. Would you commit to him, Paul? My life. All that I am. I'm not going to fear anybody who makes threats or can destroy the body, which you actually have earlier in our Matthew 10 passage. And so there is a test that's given to us as Christ followers. As you and I go out into the community, are you going to open your mouth? Are you going to represent your life to look like Jesus? At our men's study this past week, a um, good, good friend of mine, he, uh, he teaches in the college level, the university level. And he said when he first started, he, was, he wanted to make sure he wasn't offending anybody. So he wanted to do everything right. And he, he used to always wear a cross, but he hid it. He, t- he tucked it into his shirt until uh, his wife asked him about that. Why, why are you doing that? And do you know what he does today? He, he wears that cross right here for everybody to see. And let me tell you something. He is working among wolves. So how about you and I? Best example we have for this is Peter's denial. You remember that moment in the courtyard? Hey, you're with Jesus. I don't know. Let's just get real for a second here. Do you ever feel that way? Everybody shakes their head. Yeah, sometimes I feel that way. You need to remember what even Paul said. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. It's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. And so it's going to be a test to see where we stand on it. What can you and I do with this here? Let's see if we can apply it today real quickly as we wrap up here. What does it mean to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves? Because that's what we're told in verse 16 to be. I want to offer to you three things on each. Number one, in order to be as shrewd as a serpent, you need to be watching. Look with me again in your Bibles. If you got them open still, please, eyes on God's word here. Look at verse 17, because as soon as he says in verse 16, be as shrewd as a serpent, as innocent as a dove, as much as commentators and theologians want to argue about what that means, I contend to you, he tells us. Like, the very next two verses totally explain what this means, because he says in verse 17, be on your guard. I'm telling you, when I looked into that cage yesterday at the pet store, do you know what that snake was doing? It was watching me. Are you watching? Are you? Now, you probably should turn the TV off and stay off of social media. You probably should. Be very careful with that. But make sure you are watching. And secondly, make sure that you are also informed for what's going on. In fact, if you look down in verse 18, he says, On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses. 
You, you don't want to end up as a witness being like, no, what now? What? What's going on? I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. That, that witness is not going to effectuate anything. For you to be a witness like Jesus says you're going to be, you need to be informed as to how the gospel and the good news of Christ plays out in this scenario. And then lastly, you need to be ready. The very next verse here says, uh, when they arrest you, don't worry about what you will say. At that time, you'll be given what to say. So it doesn't say don't speak. It says don't worry about what to speak. But all of us should be ready to what? Should be ready. Should be ready to speak. I don't know what it is I'm supposed to say, but he told me not to worry about it because he's going to give me the right words to say. And so what does it mean to be as shrewd as a serpent? It means that you're watching, that you are informed, and that you are ready. That's what it means. Secondly, what does it mean to be innocent? Well, first of all, you need to be fearless. So I go back again to verse 19. When they arrest you, do not worry. If you were to just look in the text with me over in verse 31, this is a really good one. What's it say? Is that hard to understand? Pretty simple, right? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Sadie is skipping down the road talking about Jesus, showing the whole world the sign language of the Bible and Jesus. Do you think she's afraid of what people think of her? She doesn't care at all. She's totally innocent. She hasn't mixed in any of that corruption of this world. Totally pure. She's fearless. That's what you need to be like as well. That's what it means to be as innocent as a dove. I'm not afraid. Who told you not to be afraid? It says right here. It says, don't be afraid. I'm worth more than sparrows. But what are you going to say? I don't know. I'm so excited. Gonna... Don't be nervous about what you're going to say. Don't be anxious. He's going to give you what you need to say. Secondly, you need to be trusting. And that's what it means. To open your mouth and know, hey, when I speak to this coworker, when I speak to, or if I'm in the school system, when I speak to this student or to this parent or this neighbor who I know, it's out of line. I'm going to trust that God gives me the words that I need to say in that moment. Do you know what it looks like to not trust? Here's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to not be trusting. What it looks like to trust God is to open your mouth, to be a witness about he who is offensive. And lastly, you need to be spirit-filled. And I could take a whole nother hour to just talk about this one, but... Just for time, if you look with me back into the text, it says in verse 20, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. The spirit of God is going to give you what you need to say. And so we can, we can make sure that you and I are following the spirit of God, that we are keeping our hearts in tune and in step with the spirit and then fully trusting God to know that my spirit-filled words and my willingness to speak even though it sounds offensive is going to be evidence of being as innocent as a dove. And I know exactly the opportunity because I've been watching and I'm informed because I'm as shrewd as a serpent. For Jesus has called you and I to follow him into the community. Amen?